week's uh, church service. And uh, does anyone have their homework? All right, so if you have your homework, come and flash it at me. Just get up, come this way, and I've got your blessing. Amen, as promised. Look at you. Okay, I don't want to read it. Amen, praise God. Very good, very good. Enjoy your coffee. Wow, wow. Praise God, very good. Do, wow, you're high tech, man. Yeah. Wow, very good. Praise God. Now you get free coffee over there. <laughs> Amen. Look at you. Excellent. Excellent. Praise God. Miss Sue, you like Starbucks? I do. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Hi, Miss Linda. Let me see. You got anything on that paper? Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I got to give this as a gift. All right. Praise God. Brother Brett, man, you're all excellent. Typed, bullet space, wow, good job. You ever go there? Are you ever, you ever uh, frequent? I might check okay. it out. Miss <laughs> Kathy, all yes. right. Now, don't share this with your husband. Now you, you drink that coffee yourself. <laughs> all right. Praise God. Listen, it's a standing offer. Right? Praise God. If you weren't here... Uh, we were we were just talking about some stuff, but uh, um, I had assigned. I just pulled it out of the air, you know, First and Second Timothy, and uh, to read those two small letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And when you see an instruction, a commandment, or a standard of conduct and character, to make a note of that verse, and then to ask yourself, judge yourself: Am I living that? Am I doing that? Amen. And, uh, you know, church, this is how typically, this is how I read my Bible. I don't read it to say, did my devotion. Wasn't that nice? I'm reading it so that I can live it. Because I cannot be blessed in the reading. I'm only blessed in the doing. Amen. And uh, we just need to train ourselves uh, to be like that. Amen. And because the Holy Spirit will constantly talk to us. He may say, you know, you've done that in a measure, but how about taking it up a notch? Amen. Right? We're never done improving in our love walk. Right? And uh, Tim, Paul is good in that, uh, in that letter about giving lists. Being an example and giving five or six things. So, you know, I want you to be an example in your speech, in your words, in your conduct, in purity. And so we ought to just not pass over that. We ought to ask ourselves, am I? Don't ask, is my wife doing that? Right. <laughs> You need to ask yourself. Amen. And uh, so can I entrust this with you? I know you're, you, you know. Yeah, okay. I know where you live. Amen. You, are you ready? Amen. Father, we come before you tonight and we humble ourselves beneath your mighty hand. Father, you are God and we are not. <laughs> oh, Father God, we want what you want even if we don't know what that is. Because we have found that you are love and you are great and you are right. And if you want something for us, we ought to want it with all of our heart. And God, you want us to live in the fruit of the Spirit, live in the power of the Spirit, to enjoy an outpouring of the Spirit, to be used of you mightily, to win souls, to uh, help make disciples in the church, to build up the body of Christ, to be a great blessing in these last days. And Father God, teach us how. 
We are interested in knowing what we need to know, in doing what we need to do, that individually and in our families and in our church life, that we could have a much greater manifestation of your spirit and your presence in our midst. And so we thank you for utterance to flow free tonight. We thank you, Father, for giving each one of us a heart that grabs hold, that comprehends, that won't let go, a mind that receives and will not kick against the word that we're going to preach and teach tonight. Help me, Father, to do it in love, to do it in grace, to do it with skill and simplicity. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, just one scripture there, and then we're going to move to some other verses. But there's a very definite reason for right here from the outside. I want you to start here with me. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is no what? No condemnation. Condemnation is never from God. To be beat down to be condemned, uh, to, be, to have this feeling of, I have been judged, there's no hope for me, uh, I'm less than something that tears you down. Anything like that, whether it's a sermon, a preaching, a thought that comes to you, a feeling, an emotion, a word of any kind ought to be rejected whole cloth. Amen. God is not a condemner. We have passed out of condemnation as children of God into uh, a loving family headed up by a loving Heavenly Father. And so you need to keep that in your mind as we progress. We've been, uh, we began talking some weeks ago about the move of the Spirit. And we've just been sort of following the trail uh, that the Lord has led us on. And if you were here and you remember that I related a uh, most of a vision that God gave uh, an evangelist back in 1961. His name was Reverend Tommy Hicks. And uh, he was part of that healing revival and then moved into the next great move of God, the charismatic renewal. And he had a vision, like I said, in 1961. And in the vision, he saw the earth. And then upon the earth, he saw a great and mighty giant man, what he called a giant, begin to rise up and stand upon the earth. And when he stood upon the earth, or if you remember, this giant was covered with black tar, right? But as the giant began to stand and lift his hands, and his hands touched the clouds, the glory, and began to give God thanks and praise God and give Him glory there began to come a rain, symbolic of the outpouring of the Spirit, right? And that rain, the first thing it did is it, it washed all that black tar stuff that he saw in the vision off. And of course, the giant represented the last day church. Now, I want to just focus on that a minute. Notice how he saw this giant stand up, tarred, blackened. You know, and that, I'm sure, symbolizes a lot of things. But first and foremost, it's going to represent sin and compromise in God's people and in the church. And notice that one of the first things before that giant uh, began to move about, and remember the giant then melted again under this rain and became individual people who went throughout the whole earth preaching the gospel with signs and wonders. Amen. And that's, that's the plan of God. 
is that in this last day, and it's probably already begun to a, to a degree, that we, each member of the body of Christ, go into our portion of the world in power, in boldness, in love, in skill, and win the world and preach the gospel and perform signs and wonders, and let's get out of here in a blaze of glory. And that's the will of God, and it's been the will of God for decades. Um, But notice the first thing that God dealt with in that vision was ridding the church of sin. Ridding the church of sin. And so tonight I want to talk to us about putting away sin. Putting away sin without uh, a sense of condemnation on it at all. God not out to get any of it. He's just out to get us to a place where He can use us and bless us and pour into our vessel that holy oil. Amen. And that we could become a new wineskin that would carry the power of God about our lives. I am appalled. I am disturbed. I am uh, uh, agitated greatly. I'm grieved at the lack of of the tangible presence of God on, our, on people's lives and in churches today. And my, doctor, you know, my spiritual father, Dr. Dufresne, he had such a way with words, if you're ever familiar with his ministry. And, and he would often say the church is just full of dog and pony shows. And it's just become a place of worldly entertainment because they don't have the real thing in manifestation. They don't have the power of God in manifestation. And that's not because God has retired His power. That's not because God is unwilling today to move in a mighty way. He is not able to because His people are compromised. And living in sin and too okay with sin. And if you remember last week I talked to you about east is least and west is best. That in the Bible that we see that east, that an easterly direction in the Bible is symbolic of someone who's moving away from the presence of God and their life is carrying a direction uh, that's going to lead them further into darkness. But a westerly direction, amen, is someone, they're not maybe arrived, amen, but they have turned their back on sin They have turned their back on the old life. They have got the presence of God, the throne of God, the holy of holies in view, and they are moving that direction. Amen. Amen. And so we began last week in that part of this discussion about sin, just simply uh, wanting to ask ourselves, what direction are you and I heading in? Are we too okay? Have we become too buddy-buddy with sin in our life? Sin is still a problem. Amen. Now for time's sake, uh, you might just write this reference down. I I like looking at patterns and divine order in the Scriptures. And if our goal is a mighty outpouring of of the Spirit of God, I'm hungry for it. I really am. Um, Then what is the divine order? Well, take John the Baptist. And you could write the reference down, go home tonight and read it if you want. Luke chapter 3, verse 2 through 17. Jesus did not just show up on the scene. There was a ministry raised up before Jesus in his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was six months uh, younger than Jesus. 
And uh, let's just say, you know, about that same time, you know, he's, his, let's say his ministry launches about six months prior to. And Jesus is coming up and he's about to take his place on the scene. But what was John the Baptist's mandate? What was his ministry? His message was repent. So the divine order before, let's call Jesus's arrival on the scene a visitation. And it was, wasn't it? A visitation, a mighty move. There was going to be a message. There were going to be manifestations. There were going to be signs, wonders, miracles, cities and towns and multitudes affected by Jesus. But he couldn't come. He didn't come until John's ministry had its part first. And John said, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am what Isaiah prophesied about. I am one crying in the wilderness, make a way for the Lord. Make a highway for the Lord. Make a straight path for Him. Make Him a people ready for the Lord. So the divine order in that example is, first, the people must be made ready. There must be a path, a highway in the wilderness for the move of God in Jesus to come. And that was, there was a people who was living in sin. They were buddy-buddy with sin. And if you read that account, Luke 3, 2 through 17, they said, well, John, what do you want us to do? And basically, in different ways, he said, live right. Stop cheating. Stop lying. Be generous. Don't swindle. Do the right thing. It was just a basic message of get right with God and get right with people because if you don't, you're going to miss the greatest move of God in your lifetime. Yeah. Amen. 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 You know, when uh, way back, and you're going to again write the reference down, Exodus chapter 19, God has delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. And they're in the wilderness. And they have now come to Mount Sinai. And God says, okay, time out. I've got you out of here. I'd like to introduce myself to you. Who is this God that you've seen work 10 plagues and mighty signs and wonders and, and delivered you out? I'm going to introduce myself to you. And so he told Moses, on the third day, in three days, I'm coming. And I'm going to come down on Mount Sinai. And I'm going to speak and reveal my voice and myself to the people. But do you know what he told them what to do? He said, take the people and sanctify them for two days. In other words, he talked about wash their hands. Uh, they were not to have sexual intercourse during that time. They were to purify themselves. They were to make themselves ready for God's presence to be revealed in a way they'd never known before. So notice again the divine order. Before you get to manifestation, before God's power and presence comes on the scene in a strong way, people must get their lives cleaned up. Notice he's not talking about the ungodly. He's talking about his people. Yeah. His people yeah. need to get it cleaned up. Yeah. And last example I'll give you is uh, right there in Acts chapter 2. And they'd had this outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And uh, they had been filled with the Spirit, spoke with tongues, had these wonderful, odd manifestations of drunkenness uh, appearing and, and all of that that we've talked about already. And uh, a crowd had gathered and Peter stood up in the midst of them and preached a sermon for about 40 verses. And they said, what do we do? Good question. You know what Peter's first word to them was? 
Repent. That's the first thing you do. Now again, what did I tell you last week about repentance? What's that mean? It didn't mean express your sorrow. It means turn around. Make a 180. Change the course and the direction of your life. Amen. Some people's course and their life is going to take them straight away from everything God wants to do in their lifetime. Amen. And they are going to, they're going to say, where is God? Well, you took a wrong turn and he's way back over here. Amen. And uh, we need to make sure that our lives are heading in the right direction. He said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you get born again and you too shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the outpouring of the Spirit. Amen. So again, the divine order, right? Before you receive the outpouring, you've got to repent. You've got to get right with God. Amen. 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 Praise God. Oh, Father, where do I want to go now? Uh, praise God. Um, go over to 1 John with me. Now, I know, because I'm this way myself, I believe I've been taught right. You know, sin has been dealt with in our life as a Christian. Right? We are, Bible fact, as Christians, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And Jesus has already become in our life the, propit the propitiation of the substitute for our sins. And so, you know, why are, we, why are we going to preach on it? Why are we going to bring it up? We're not supposed to be preaching sin to the people. Well, remember, you need to remember this or know it if you've not known it. There is a difference in the Bible, in the New Testament, between sin, which I'm going to define as acts of wrongdoing, or acts of omission. You knew you should have done something, you didn't do it. And that's sin too. Right? And so that, that's sin, what I call sin little s. And there's a difference between that and sin, capital S, sin, the sin nature. What sends a person to hell is that they die with the sin nature. They are by nature children of sin, children of the devil. They, are not, they don't have the life of God on the inside of them. Their spirits are dead unto God. The new birth deals with the sin nature problem. That's the greater problem. That's what sends you to hell. So thank God, what I'm talking about to you is not the sin nature. Thank God, even though we commit sins, right? First John will tell you, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. We all know you're a liar. Because there ain't nobody perfect down here. Well, he's not talking about the sin nature there. He's talking about those occasional acts of missteps of wrongdoing, disobedience, sin. Amen. But our nature is unchanged. See, once we get born again, our spirits will never be touched by sin again. Our spirit, man, is never touched because the Holy Spirit comes in and comes into perfect union with our spirit. Let me, it's not my notes, but let me point out something to you here that might have been a, a problem scripture for you if you're, a, if you're a Bible reader. In 1 John chapter 3, <clears throat> I'll just start reading verse 2 and we'll stop when I get to where I want to go. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, there's your rapture scripture, we shall be like Him, 
For we shall see Him as He is. And every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself, even as He is pure. This kind of proves my point. See, we, we are sons of God. He said, now we're sons of God. We're not going to be as we're fully going to be, but when He appears, we will be that. And everyone who has this hope of seeing Him one day, what does He do? He purifies Himself. So see, you're a son of God. You're, you're a child of God. Sure enough, that part's been settled. But is there not still a need in our lives to purify ourselves? Yes, there is. And this is what I'm talking to us about. Amen. Notice verse 4, whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression or the breaking of the law. And you know that He, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Whosoever abides in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sins has not seen Him, neither known Him. Now, other translations will help you here. What he's talking about here is, you could put the word in here, he who practices sin. He who practices sin has not seen Jesus. Has never really known Him. He might call himself a Christian. But the person that practices sin as a lifestyle has not seen or known the Lord. He that does practice sin, what's it tell us? Neither has known Him. It doesn't matter what they say. Amen? Notice verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. Who can, can we look around? Is John giving us a test? A quality test? I mean, is this real Coke or Coke Zero? Amen? Can we look upon a believer's life? Oh, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. Oh, yes, I'm going to heaven. John is giving us a, a test, a reality test, yeah. a real deal check. Yeah. You know, it's like Dr. Jacob says. People can call themselves anything they want. It's not the label on the can. It's what's in the can that matters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Amen. How do we know who's the real deal? They doeth righteousness. Meaning they practice it. Amen. They practice righteousness. Who's not the real deal? The one who doesn't do righteousness. Verse 8. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Now, I had a problem with this. Do you have a problem with this? Especially if you've read 1 John chapter 1. Because in 1 John chapter 1, he plainly says, If you say that you don't sin, you're a liar. Two chapters later, he's saying, Whosoever is born of God doesn't sin. Is the Bible contradicting itself? No, here's where you need to see the difference between sins, little s, and capitals, the sin nature. That part of a human being before they get born again that compels them to sin. A dog barks because they're a dog. A cat meows because they're a cat. Why do sinners sin? Because of the sin nature on the inside of them. So do you see what he's saying here is, 
Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Could I, you might want to write this. Where? In their spirit. In their spirit. Now, if it'll become clear as you finish reading the Bible. Notice it says, and he cannot sin. Sure sounds contradictory. What do you mean he cannot sin? Because he is born of God. Well, because his seed remains in him. Amen. The seed of the incorruptible word of God that he was born by, that she was born by, keeps your spirit man pure. So is everybody with me? There is this state, thank God, that because of the new birth, I can't sin. Right? Amen. Never have sinned in my spirit. You know, I used to sit on that bar stool, Thursday night penny beer with 25 pennies in my pocket, and I didn't intend to leave with any. Most of the time I didn't. Yeah. And uh, did that for a whole season of my life. Never convicted, never, never bothered me a bit. And then I had this encounter with God. And I got right with God. And then I went back where I tried to do the same thing. And now, I'm not having any fun. I've got this internal conflict going on on the inside of me. Right? Because now my spirit's not agreeing. My spirit's rising up and saying, you ought not be doing this. You need to get out of here. This is not, this is not where you need to be. I mean, if you want to ruin your drunk or your hit or your high, get saved. You just ruin it. Right, Paul? I mean, it's just no fun anymore. (laughs) Look at verse 10. John says, in this, the children of God are manifest or revealed for who they are. And the children of the devil and who they are. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. Now, anyway, uh, go to 1 John 5. I want to show you something here and then I want to make some points. Wow, where's the time go? Man. Praise God. 1 John 5, verse 16. It wouldn't take you long, you ought to read this whole little book, because I'm skipping around. But look at what he says here. If any man see his brother, does he call him a brother? That means he's a Christian, right? If any man see his brother sin a sin not unto death. Hmm. I thought the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is he eternal life. The law of sin and death holds us captive. Romans 8. It's interesting. Notice this phrase. You could, it's possible, John says, to see your brother commit a sin that is not unto death. He shall, the person who sees it, shall ask, meaning in prayer, in intercessory prayer for that person, and he, God, shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that you shall pray for it. Are you confused? 
<laughs> Notice the two phrases. There must be a sin not unto death. And there is a sin that leadeth unto death. How do you define this death? The loss of one's salvation. The loss of one's salvation. Now, as a Christian, this ought to enlighten you a little bit. Is it possible for you to make a mistake, do the wrong thing, fail to do the right thing, that's sin, but it does not result in the loss of your salvation? Of course. And you better be glad. <laughs> Me too. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we have a remedy? If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But here's a new thought for a lot of Baptists. There is a sin that a brother could commit that would result in the loss of their salvation. And God says when you see that one, don't even pray about it. Now I want to read you some commentary. I hope you're interested. So from the New Spirit-Filled Study Life Bible on some of these verses. John does not teach perfectionism. Otherwise, he would contradict himself. He acknowledges that believers are able to commit an occasional act of sin, but that they are not characterized by a spirit of lawlessness. I want to try to be able to address something before we run out of time totally. Powerlessly led into a habitual practice of sin. In other words, this commentary is saying Christians, real Christians, are able, of course, to commit occasional acts of wrongdoing. But their lives are not characterized by a spirit of lawlessness. So there's a big deception in Christian congregations around the world. These people powerlessly led into habitual practice of sin. In other words, sin is a habit for them. Sin is natural to the devil. You see someone committing sin naturally, I don't care what they label themselves, they are of the devil still. But unnatural to the children of God. Sin ought to be unnatural for us. See, you have to fight against your own heart to commit a sin. You have to fight against your own conscience to do the wrong thing. That fight you have on the inside is evidence that you're a real believer. Amen. He goes on and says, constant indulgence in sin. Think about this. Think about people you know who think they're all right. Constant indulgence in sin contradicts the claim that they have that they have a personal connection with Jesus. Anyone living in constant sinful indulgence does not, I don't care what they say, I don't care what they think, they do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. People need to wake up to this deception that they're all right. Amen. Sin is not a way of life for a person who is truly righteous. It is a way of life for someone who is unrighteous. 
Anyone whose life is unrepentantly characterized by sin does not belong to the family of God. Amen. Amen. Now, guys and gals, this truth that's plainly laid out in 1 John and many of the scriptures seems totally lost to the modern church today. You even have universalism being preached out there, which means it doesn't matter who they are. In the end, because of what Jesus did, everybody's going to be okay. And it's a lie. Born straight out of the abyss. Sin is still a big, big deal. Now, I'm not going to, don't ask me after the service. Try to spend time and define for you tonight what is the sin unto death. But you just need to know there is one. We've heard of the unpardonable sin. That would be one. Um, Rewriting the scriptures according to Revelation 22 will get your name written right out of the book of life. But uh, Hebrews 10 says, if you willfully, knowingly, as a born-again Christian, spirit-filled, decide, I'm going back into the world and I'm going to live a lifestyle of sin, when you die, you're going to go to hell. And I, I, I'm not going to say the word defy, I would challenge you to prove me wrong from the Scriptures. <laughs> Because like Dr. Jacob says, for every little scripture you think you've got, I've got 25 in my back pocket to prove you different. Amen. Now again, are we, are we spiritually insecure in our salvation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Amen? Amen. But what I want to... Man, I'm almost out of These little acts of sin. We're secure. Our spirits are alive unto God. Thank God. And we're not making sin a lifestyle, hopefully. But we still need to deal with these sins. And because I don't have time, I'm going to take you over to one more scripture. Hebrews 3. Now, the sins we're talking about now, this class of sin, is not something that's going to take you to hell. But it will cost you much. I said it will cost you much. And I want to give you five just quick bullet points about things you need to understand about uh, these acts of sin that if you just become okay with them and you don't deal with them and you don't feel like it's any big deal, it's going to cost you. All right? And just bear with me here and we're going to get to the fifth point very quickly because that's where you're at in Hebrews 3. That's where I want you. Number one, you need to understand from Romans chapter 6 that sin makes you a slave. Whatever sin you commit, let's say, you know what, I'm really, I've just had a bad day, I just forget it, I'm, I'm going to drink a beer. Okay. You certainly can. Probably won't take you to hell. But you do that, and you do it again, you're going to become a slave. The Bible says, Paul said in Romans, the sin you commit, you become a slave to that thing. And a slave is not owned by themselves. You can just practice a sin, commit a sin so many times, now you are in bondage. In bondage to pornography. In bondage to lust. In bondage to not going to church. In, right? in bondage to not 
obeying the commands of God for your life, in bondage to bitterness, unforgiveness, worry, gossip, uh, uncleanness, impurity. And you become ensnared, you become entrapped in that sin. And every time you commit it, you're, you're binding yourself up. Amen. And that's going to cost you. Hallelujah. Number two, you need to understand that these sins break fellowship. They don't break your salvation, but they break fellowship between you and God. The moment you sin and transgress, your fellowship with God is broken. Quick illustration. When, when my children are always my children. My daughters are my daughters. My son is my son. But if they sin against me, our fellowship is broken until they make that right. Their place in the household is not undone. Our place of fellowship is broken. Hopefully just temporarily. But do you know so many Christians today, maybe you, I don't know, they live day by day in broken fellowship. There is something between them and God. There is separation of fellowship. And there's consequences for that. What are you not hearing Him say because of broken fellowship? What leading are you not getting? What love are you failing to experience? What guilt, what condemnation did that broken fellowship give the devil an opening to put on you? Right? I mean... I had someone uh, very close to me one time. He, he got to, to watching a TV preacher more than he should. And he, he, I was visiting and, and, and this person said, you know, I found out I don't, have to rep- I don't have to confess my sin anymore. That that was written to sinners, not to saints. And my tongue came out of my mouth. It became 12 feet long. My jaw hit the floor. And out the thing it went. And as they walked by, I said, and gave the name... Come back here. Whoa, what? Yeah, 1 John 1, 9 was written to sinners. I, I said, whoa, hold on a minute. Let me read it. Let me read it to you. If we, John says, the great apostle, if we, is that written to sinners? Is John a sinner? Like, a, like an unsaved person? No. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Beloved, I write unto you. Beloved, children, I said, and I said, listen, if I sinned against you, I know you still love me. But you're saying it wouldn't be right. I never need to come and say, hey, I apologize. I recognize what I did was wrong. Would you forgive me? So that our fellowship, okay, I got it. Oh, like, oh my God. But this is the goofy thinking that we can sin this way with impunity and God doesn't care. He does care. And the moment you catch yourself, you're reading your Bible and you go, oh, wow, I am not doing that. I I am not doing that. You ought to stop right then and say, Father, I repent right now for not living in the light of that verse. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And as you help me, I'm going to be a doer of this instruction from, from this day on. But you know what really, really bothers me, church, is that sermons don't move people anymore. 
many, many of people, precious people in my church, they are unmoved by my words. It doesn't matter. They come. I love them. It doesn't matter if I speak directly to them. It doesn't matter if, if it's in a sermon and it applies to them. They're not moved. How many times have I preached whole sermons, urged, gave scriptures of here's how, why you need to come and be a, benefit, be a part of this special meeting? They're not moved by it. They're not moved by it. It's wrong. You're in a scary place if you're not moved by your pastor's words. You need prayer. If you are numb to just basic, love-motivated, word-based instruction and admonition and even correction, and you're numb to it, and you can leave here unfelt and unbothered and ignore it, you need prayer. You are in a dangerous place. You need deliverance on some level. I am moved when I'm under the ministry of my pastor and she says something and, and, and I'm not living that. I violated that somehow. I am grie- I, I, I'm not perfect, but I'm moved by it. And it, it so grieves me, church, that so many are unmoved by the reading of Scripture. They're not moved by it. They're so used to it. They just come. It's blind habit. It goes through one ear. I, sometimes it doesn't even get the ear. But it just passes right through. And I don't understand how you live that way. Are you living in a state of broken fellowship with God? Listen, the great news about this is it is so ridiculously unnecessary. He is waiting. He is longing. Run to Him and say, Daddy, I blew it. I sinned. I mean, I looked at that naked lady on, and I am sorry. He knows you did it. He knows you did it. But the fact that you got away with it in human standards does not mean you sinned that sin. You lusted after that thought. You you, uh, I'll tell you what, don't get me on the tithing thing. Some people are swimming in pools paid for by the Lord's tithe and they're, they're wearing clothes that are paid for with God's money and they're living in houses paid for with God's money. Driving cars that's paid for with God's money. You teach on tithing, they're not moved by it. No conviction. Number three, sin opens the door to the devil. This little class of sin, if you get angry and sin because you're angry, you open the door to the devil. You know what the devil does? He doesn't come to play footsie. He's going to steal and he's going to kill and he's going to destroy. So this is what I mean. When you realize you have violated something, you have sinned in some way, you better get the door shut. How do I do it? Practice 1 John 1, 9. Father, I did it. Father, I own it. No excuses. I sinned against you. I sinned against your word. And I'm asking you to forgive me and to cleanse me. And I believe I receive it. Thank God. Door shut. Pastor, I know, but I tell you what, I'm dealing with something and I do this thing 80 times a day. Confess it 80 times a day. Maybe you'll get tired of having to confess it and actually change. But remember, Jesus spoke to this. He said, Peter, how many times should a brother sin against you in a single day and you forgive him? 
He thought he was doing good. He said up to seven times. And the Lord said, no, that's not going to do it. How about 70 times seven? That's 490 times. Same sin in a single day. God will forgive you. He will forgive you. You just understand, if you disobey, you set aside the Word, I say something and it's the Word, and you go, I'm not doing that, then you're in sin. You are in sin today. And the devil has access to your health, to your children, to your mind, to your finances, to everything you love, want, dream about, and care about. Oh, God loves me. Yeah, He does, but the door's still open. Number four, you understand, sin hinders one's progress in their calling. That's Hebrews 12.1. He said, in the light of all this, Hebrews 11, we should lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us, which means to ensnare us or to trip us up and Listen, God bless them, no condemnation, but you need to allow some conviction in your heart. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And conviction is not comfortable, but don't call conviction condemnation. And if you never feel convicted, man, I can't can't express to you in the time we have left how dangerous of a place you're in. If conviction never even registers on you anymore, you're, you're heading down the road Pharaoh went down. Anyway, I don't want to be hindered. You know, how much progress am I going to make in my calling if I'm tripping all the time and I'm stumbling all the time and I fell all the time and I'm falling all the time? What Paul is saying here is, brother, set that sin aside so you can make progress. I had the Lord tell me one time, he said, so he just broke in on me one day. He said, son, I want you to know something. Yes, sir. He said, I reached over and I put the pause button on your life and your ministry. You're not going anywhere until you get this fixed. Now, that's how God treats me. And I went, oh, man, he's serious about this. (laughs) You know whatever he's talking to you about? He's serious about it. He said, I put the pause button on your life. In other words, you better like what you got right here because you're not moving forward until you stop tripping over this issue right here. And he put his finger on that. And you know, he, he's more patient. He's more stubborn than me. You know, years went by and I just stayed right there because I was rebellious and stubborn and disobedient and unwilling and had a bad attitude about it, and resented him even bringing it up, to be honest with you, on some level. You know, it, it, I, and I just had to do what I had to do to satisfy him so he could take his, his finger off my, that pause button. And it gets miserable when finances get tight, and the anointing's gone. And I know I'm not the only one. So that's, that's another thing. Sin hinders progress in one's calling. Number five. Y'all all right? And I want to let you see this one as we get ready to let you go home and think about this. <laughs> hey, are we condemned tonight? No. Well, the point is we've got to get the tar off. 
we got to get the tar off. We're going to have to move the Spirit. God's going to be able to bless your life and your family the way you want Him to. Hebrews 3, 13. Hebrews 3, 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Is it called today? Yeah, it's today, right? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What is the fifth thing that sin does? Sin hardens us. Now, I looked up this word, harden, and this is what it means. The Strong's Dictionary of Greek words says it means to render or to make one stubborn. So if you persist in a sin, can I stop? You not loving your wife the way Christ loves the church is a sin. You not honoring and respecting and revering your husband as the head of that family is a sin. But that, gee, there is no room in those scriptures about but that. But, It's a sin. To forsake the assembly, talk to the camera, to forsake the assembly of yourselves together, Hebrews 10, 25, knowing what you're doing is a sin. Yeah, I heard you. It's a sin. To tell off-color jokes because you think they're funny is a sin. To cheat on your taxes, to be late neglectfully on your bills is a sin. To cheat on a test is a sin. Right? So when you do this, the effect on your soul is it makes you hard. So with every sin... Right? And what that does is it's going to make you more impervious to correction and more obstinate to do it again and to get into this place where you become a stone and I am not moving. I am not changing. I do not care. I'm going to keep on. So there is this hardening effect. Now, why does that matter? Well, there's so much tide. You'll have to come back probably if you're brave enough. These are not popular messages, Brother Paul. I understand. But we're not going to get to miracles Amen. with all this sin in our life. Think about the way God wants us to be is soft, sensitive, teachable, humble, quick to receive it, quick to make a change. That person is easily led by God. And people who are easily led don't die in car wrecks. Because they are led around tragedies. 
because they're sensitive. They have a soft, sensitive heart. And when the Spirit whispers, and when the Scripture speaks, and when the pastor speaks, they've got that. They've got that. And therefore, they walk in the light of those truths that set them free. That put them in the place where the blessing flows free and unhindered. And God pours in the anointing. And therefore, burdens are removed. And yokes are destroyed. And it's harder for sickness to get in. It's harder for wrong things to get in. And they're more full of light and they're more full of love. And then all of a sudden, God begins to use them more because He can. But when you persist in sin, the opposite is true. You become, it's going to make you stubborn. And oh, I have pastored some stubborn people. Not y'all. I have pastored some stubborn people. God has tried to shepherd some stubborn people. You know, He couldn't get those Israelites out of Egypt. He got them out of Egypt. He could not get them into promised land. You know what the promised land is a type of? It's not a type of heaven. Because in the promised land, they still had battles to fight. They still had giants to overcome. So there's no giants and battles to fight in heaven. So what is the promised land a type of? It's a type of the baptism with the Holy Ghost and the blessings of God. See, God wants to, but He can't get people over into the baptism. He can't get people over into the blessing because they refuse to believe Him. They refuse to accept the Word. They refuse to follow simple instructions. And every time they do, they get harder and more calloused. You know, you can become so calloused, right? Some men's hands that work with their hands. Like Brother Jerry, probably. Right? You got calluses on your hand, you work, you work with your hand. I know Brother Ken uh, works with his hands. That's not a sin. <laughs> it's an analogy. But what happens is, is that dead skin builds up, builds up. And I've, I've seen like my, my, my great-grandfather take a, take a dull knife and just dig in that and, you know, shock me. And it, there's no feeling. There's no sensitivity. Now, how can you... Can that be reversed? Oh, thank God it can. But you're going to have to stop doing what you've been doing if you want the feeling and the sensitivity to return. And many of you, the sensitivity to the leading of the Lord and the Lord's voice and sweet, close, intimate fellowship that has so eluded so many Christians is simply because they're in broken fellowship, they don't repent, and they're hard of heart. And you know what? I can't pray you out of that. You're going to have to go down inside and muster the inner character and desire to say, I am tired of living this way. I don't want my, my pastor to, to be, have this impression of me that I am a stubborn mule with all four hooves bedded in the ground and I am not moving. Right? I don't know, when the, when the Spirit of God speaks to me, I want to hear it, and I want to be quick to say, yes, Father. I wish I could always say I have, but I haven't. But I'm working on myself. I'm working on myself. 
so praise God. There's a lot more to say. But glory to God. I want to be soft. How about you? I don't want to go through my adult life making critical decisions and i got to go to my head because I have so hardened myself to the leading of the Lord that He's speaking, but I'm not getting it. Got to be teachable. Got to be correctable. And I know you're, I know you're, I know the lion's here. This church, (laughs) you're like that to some degree. You wouldn't be here. Right? You just wouldn't be here. You'd be that, you'd be at that other church. So there's got to be something in you, right? It says, I am coming to grow. I want to grow. I know I, it's not what's, it's not what I'm doing right that's holding me back. It's what I'm doing wrong. So I'm coming to church to hear what I am doing wrong, not to be beat up so that I could get this thing corrected so I could get down the road with what God has for my life. Amen. 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 Stand up tonight. Praise God.